proper financial institution bank, but because the regulators of the banks are so, uh, you know, pinstripe suit and stiff upper-lipped Englishmen, they try to block him from doing it. And uh, But it's a true story, and it's quite, you know, it's one of those lovely sort of just 90-minute long, well-acted, you know, and uh, great locations, but, uh, uh, you know, a simple story well told. So I don't know where that will pop up. That may not get a cinema release in America, but... uh, Maybe streaming? Yeah, maybe it'll pop up there somewhere. I can't, you know, every... uh, Yeah, but anyway, that was was, uh, one of my favourite little uh, recent releases, but I... Yes, I'm not a... a, um, a big Marvel movie fan. No, neither am I. I did see an old movie that was an English movie because I was um I watched this thing that was a documentary about British cinema. It was very interesting about the course British cinema had that paralleled but went a different way from uh, other cinemas, particularly focusing on the US cinema. And they compared this movie with Ghost, but I actually think a different movie would have been a better comparison. The movie I'm talking about is Madly Deep, Madly Truly Deeply, or Madly Deep? Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Uh, with Alan Rickman and Juliet Stevenson. Oh, yeah. I had never seen it before. It was such a good movie. But I think it's more like Kiss Me Goodbye with Sally Field and James Caan. Then, but because Ghost is more of an action movie, and this is a per and madly deeply, or is it madly truly? Correct me. What is it? (laughs) Madly deeply. Um, that's a it's a very personal story of loss and grief, and her husband coming back to help her. It's the same as Kiss Me Goodbye. Right. Oh, I see. And it's not right. really like Ghost. Alan Rickman dies, doesn't he, and um, uh, it comes back. Alan Rickman is the husband who comes back, yeah. Yeah. And, and then there was the ghost and Mrs. Muir. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I love the TV series, too. When I was yeah. a kid, that was the TV series we used to watch when I was a little girl. Um, that was one of my favorite shows. Uh, yeah, I had no problem with friendly ghosts and with friendly witches like Bewitched. I did, I just didn't like yeah. scary stuff. <laughs> no, no, nor no, it's a, it's almost getting into the dark arts, isn't it? You know, and you think, oh, it's a bit uh, getting a bit nasty. Well, it is kind of. It's just. It's. I'm not a horror fan. I don't watch horror stuff. So sorry. <laughs> Anybody who no. uh, I will happily. Uh, interview anybody about anything, but don't try to get me to watch or read it. <laughs> no. If it's horror, <laughs> um, no. that's one. That's one area I just stay away from. But I love a I love a good story like uh, that movie. I just it's such a beautiful film, um, and I would like to see more like that. Yes. And no, it, I forgot that, truly. Yeah. I just really loved it. And, you know, I, I already love both Alan Rickman and Juliet Stevenson, both wonderful actors. But it is so interesting to see them in 
something so soft and simple, you know? Yeah. He he wasn't in, in a fright wig with uh, uh, contact lenses, being mean and scary, and she wasn't being, oh, proper and like a, yeah. a, a 18th century woman and all this stuff, you know, that she played so much of. They were just normal people <laughs> of the current time period. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that, that, you know, benevolent ghost in the room element is something people like a lot as well, you know, because they, a lot of people, you know, have suffered great loss, mm-hmm. you know, they have fantasized about that element to, wouldn't it be nice if they were still here or whatever, you know? Yeah, it is like, it, that's why I said it, it was like, kiss me goodbye, there's an element in both movies where the husband is coming back to show the wife, yes, I know you love me. Yes, I know you're grieving for me. But I wasn't a perfect person. Right. And that was, it was in both movies. That's what I remember the most. Yeah. And and that's a very important thing because when you're grieving someone, you're not thinking about their faults. You're thinking about all their happy memories, loving happy memories. Yeah. And it's hard to get past that. Yes, and I'm sure there's some, you know, there's some uh, reason in our psyche for that. You know, you like a lot of situations. You know, you you only remember the good times because that's the best thing for you. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I love English movies. Anyway, they were showing all kinds of stuff, and um, it was giving tribute to English movies because they also showed um like Beckett and Line in Winter and wow. um um Peter O'Toole in the Desert um Lawrence Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence of Arabia. that's it yeah yep. I don't know why I forgot the name of it but you know um <laughs> no they're all uh, classic huge big budget historical films aren't they yeah but they also should stuff like one of my favorite David Lane movies of all time is not big budget, although it, it's, it's it is scenic, is um, Summertime, where it, the one with uh, Catherine Hepburn going to Venice, and um, as and she meets what is his name? Gee, I don't know. It's summertime. It's or is it summer? Summertime or summer, it was it was about going on vacation to, to Venice, it, and it's an English movie and a David Lean movie. Oh darn it! Uh, not uh, not um, Audrey Hepburn and uh, no, no. It was definitely Catherine Hepburn. I love Audrey Hepburn, but I it, it totally it it's, if you're thinking Roman Holiday, it's not that. No. Summertime. That is the correct name. I just looked it up. Um, who's the actor? Rosano Brazzi. Oh right. And it's a she's a. 
she's I guess she's supposed to be in her 40s, but I think she was more like in her 50s. And yes. she was a secretary who saved her money to go to Italy, to Venice, to find adventure and romance. And yes. and she finds the most handsome man in Italy. <laughs> As you do, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a very romantic movie. And it's not, it, and you see these, I mean, really, if you've never been to Venice, and you see this movie, you feel like you've been to Venice because you know the way he shot. I mean, that's right. It's brilliant. It, it, it was epic without being epic. You know, <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it because he shot every. I mean, even the way one of the clocks works. She was like supposed to be taking a film footage of the clock, and it showed every movement of this clock that was near the um, St. Peter's. Um, it was like, it, it's the most amazing film. Do you like it? I mean, as a cinematographer. Uh, yeah, no, no, the, the, you know, the, the cinematographers that David Lean used are legendary and, um, you know, it was from that era of filmmaking where the cinematography was, you know, the most important element and uh, the consideration for the time of day, uh, lighting the leading lady, you know, uh, locations, all those things were, you know, of massive importance and um, a lot of that seems to have gone away now, but um, back then that's why you had these wonderfully, beautifully stylized films like Citizen Kane and, um, you know, a, a lot of those early, you know, great expectations and things like that of, of Leans and Lawrence uh, because, you know, it was um, all part of the big epic look was the cinematography. So, And the thing is, when you, like, look at Lawrence uh, of Arabia, you're just how do you make the sand exciting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like acres and acres of sand and sand dunes and stuff. But yeah. somehow they captured it. Yes. And they oh, made no, it one... beautiful. No, they, um, they, I think they did, I did read, it might have been a Peter O'Toole autobiography, and I think like um, some other films that have been shot in exotic locations, you know, they say they're going to only be out there for eight weeks, but then it's, you know, turns into six months, you know, trying to um, achieve greatness. And, uh, you know, you look at the scale of those films, you know, when there was no digital interference, there's no CGI or anything. If you wanted to have 2,000 Arabs storm a steam train and blow it up on a track. That's what you had to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to build a railway line in the desert where it didn't exist, get a very expensive steam train, blow it up, you know, and then have all these extras storm it, you know. So I think those a lot of those feelings come through the filmmaking where in today's terms, you know, if you saw say, Lord of the Rings film or something like that, you know there's 10,000 digital orcs, you know, storming a castle, you know, and the, the uh, you know, the empathy you have for the 
people, the, the you know, the passion and the, the grind of real filmmaking, I think, comes through a lot of those older films because everything was real. Mm-hmm. It's even with something that was partly comedy, partly drama, like um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Again, yeah. they had to blow up a train. Not completely, just one car. <laughs> I know, it was amazing, you know. I know that some of the, you know, the train off a bridge things were, were um, you know, models, but I think even in, say, the bridge on the River Kwai, mm-hmm. I think they, they actually built the bridge and then blew it up, mm-hmm. you know, and blew up the steam train and it fell to its death in the valley. And, you know, that's, that's how they did it. They planned it and... Um, it's what made these films famous. And it's just, it's amazing. I looked up the cinematographer for Summertime. His name was Jack Hilliard. Oh, yes, yeah. And it was shot entirely in Venice. I was right about that. Fantastic. <laughs> it was what, um, anyway, if you've never seen it, it's a really good movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing things down as you speak. Because, uh, they're, all, they're all good reference points and... Uh, worthy of another look because I think the quality now, if you can find a good version of something, you know, I'm sure you had the same experience, you know, when you're young, you'll, you either had to go to the movie to see it, mm-hmm. the cinema, mm-hmm. and, but back in the day, things stayed a lot longer, you know, things might be in the cinema for six months, and if you really liked it, you might get a chance to see it again, but it was never intended for television. Nope. And it would only be, you know, 10 years later or something when you go, oh, look, they're putting on, you know, uh, a, you know, a classic film late at night. And um, then you'd have to stay up and watch it and it'd be a scratchy old black and white print with bad crackly sound. Cut to but ribbon. Now, of <laughs> these films are being digitally remastered and they look stunning, you know. Yeah. And you think, well, this was what, you know, people saw you know, back in 1936 or whatever, this is what the quality looked like. It was mm-hmm. beautiful and crisp and sharp and, um, you know, and all those women. And I love seeing those montages uh, of actors and actresses. You know, they used to show them sometimes uh, before the Oscars came on, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And then all those Betty Davis and all those beautiful women, you know, that that have a montage of them lighting cigarettes or pouring a drink or, you know doing some snappy dialogue in a doorway. And, um, you know, it was really a fantastic time um, in filmmaking, but you had to go and see them or you never saw them again until years later. So, but, uh, but now it's great being able to just dial them up, you know. The thing is, is that the TCM generation, um, the people yes. who can watch uh, TCM, uh, they're... We're all spoiled because of that, because we get to see these wonderful old movies uncut and and not scratchy in the best possible way. But when I was a kid, we had what was called the 3.30 movie in the afternoon. We came home from school, and we went with our mom into the family room, and we watched What a Thin Man or... Um, or um, Carol, uh, Carol Lombard and to be or not to, yes. and Jack Benny and to be and not to be but and as a kid of course you don't realize how corrupt no. it is to be in that movie slot um, yes. 
and have the commercials too. Um. I know. Well, there's the other the other my when people ask me about you know how did I get interested in the game and uh, you know what drew me to my craft as a cinematographer. Uh, you know, my answer is that, that when I was young, you know, four, say from 14 on, you know, you had to go into that, you know, darkened shared room, corny as it is, and, you know, watch the screen mm-hmm. for two hours. Mm-hmm. You didn't eat, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you just looked in one direction. And it was far more engaging. And I think, um, you know, watching great, I think I remember seeing um, Elizabeth Taylor in um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you know, when I was like about 15. Wow. You know, there's high, high adult drama. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, spousal abuse and, and uh, you know, rampant sex and stuff, you know, like, uh, but I, I, you know, I came out going, oh, what the hell was that about? But I, I think about it now, and it's far more engaging in that environment than being at home, you know, and or having commercials, or it's snack time, or you get up to go to the toilet, or you get another glass of wine, you know, it can break that momentum. And But I say to this day, all those films I saw when I was young possibly affected me in the right way because you were in a trapped, you were trapped in a cinema, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just like I was, you made me remember something. When I was young, about... 17 or 18 the movie MASH the the, yeah. the movie with Donald Sutherland and Elliot um, Gould that one yeah. Yeah. Um, the Robert Altman movie uh, came yeah. out in uh, and it was at a double feature at a, a theater that was down the block and I was so excited because I, I was too young to see it when it first came out Yeah. and so I went to see it paid my money went to see it you will not believe this Five days later, they started advertising that MASH is going to, the movie MASH is going to be on CBS. Oh, gosh. Five days after I paid to see it. Gee. I was that like. That must have been thinking of all that, uh, you know, putting, putting it straight to air sort of thing, you know. But it's so shocking to me. Yes. Yes, that's right. Because I just saw it in the theater on a big screen and everything, and the next thing I know, it's it's on my television. <laughs> I know. But also, you know, now, I mean, I grew up in a, you know, the delineation between television and movies was very clear, you know. Cinema, you got the big screen experience. They could uh, get away with things, you know, with either violence or, uh, you know, of a romantic nature on the big screen and uh, the television couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And TV was always just cop shows or hospital shows or, you know, even Rin Tin Tin or Bonanza, all those shows which were sort of had a, you know, a family-orientated thing or a, a crime investigation element to it. But they're all very samey and nothing was of any high uh, quality. And now... You know, people are looking at, uh, you know, the comparison. And, of course, a lot of the cinema stars and the technicians, directors and cinematographers, are moving into mainstream TV. And that, mm-hmm. of course, has enhanced it, hasn't it? You know, you 
mention any of those uh, great, you know, well-viewed shows that are on any of the streaming services, and they they all look fantastic, you know, and the acting's brilliant, and uh, because they're getting more and more money, I guess, you know, to make high-quality TV. Yeah, um, 1923 with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren is a TV series. Who ever oh, think you'd see them on television? Never. <laughs> In, no, in a series, um, you know. <laughs> and, and that's because they've got these, you know, they've they've got, you know, whatever it is, ten million dollars an episode or something, you yeah. know, to play with. So there's no, um, you know, it's all changing the whole face of all of the the, the difference between cinema and um, uh, television, you know, and the, the larger format televisions, the the higher quality 4K images. Uh, you know, the the whole viewing experience at home has been arced up, I think, and I fear for the life of cinema as a going experience because when I go now, it, they're hardly ever full, you know, they're sort of giving away tickets, they're trying to get people in, but um, the I still enjoy the experience, the darkened room environment and, you know, group viewing, but it's not like it used to be, you know. I'm sure it's only those great big, you know, Marvel uh, uh, things that um, uh, pull in the tickets because the things I go to see, sometimes there's only maybe half a dozen people watching, you know? Yeah, I know. It's kind of sad, isn't it? It is. It's terrible because it was all those things, you know, dates, going on dates, Saturday night things mm -hmm. to do, you know. It was... Um, an event, you know, and I think the, my local uh, art house cinema, which is a picture palace, you know, one of those old-fashioned, you know, uh, a bit like uh, Contagious in, in L.A., mm -hmm. that it's um, the, where we had a big premiere for the Phryne film. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got four or five screens. They've got one great big room, you know, it's all red velvet and beautiful lighting. But... Um, of course, where it sits on the on the sort of uh, in the middle of the little city that it's in, you go. It's a fantastic piece of real estate. You know, you can just think if this doesn't work, somebody's going to put apartments in here because uh, you know you you can see the changing face of cinema being. And I know now a lot of these streaming services, I believe, to comply with Oscars, you know, you've got to show it for two weeks or something. Haven't they before? Yeah. Before the Oscars come on, they've got to, it's got to be screened, you know, in in cinemas for two weeks, and then it can be up for an Oscar. And um, it has to so be it has to be before the end of the year. So it has to be like at, by the end of December that they have to right have the movie play. Because and so then you get that quick. I remember the great big long black and white film Roma. You know, I think that went into the cinema, and then it was out of the cinema. You know, mm -hmm. like it was there for two weeks and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it was on Netflix or whatever. And you're going, oh, my gosh, that's how quick they're turning them around now just to comply so they can pat each other on the back, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, corporations. Mm -hmm. um, I know. It's the, the, um, the business side of show business, isn't it? You know, it's that, uh, that part of it. Somebody, somebody's got to make a profit somewhere. Yeah. Um. We've come to the part where I ask you, do you have anything that's coming up that you want to tell the audience about? Uh, not much. I've had um, 
my Australian Cinematographers uh, Society. I've been a member of for a while and was the president for a little while. Uh, initiated a an archiving process, uh, a, a sort of a spoken history of not only my own career but thoughts and opinions. And uh, they've interviewed myself and a lot of Australian cinematographers with uh, that have Oscars and um, our great range of women cinematographers uh, about all those things I just mentioned and I just recently did mine which was very nice and very flattering to have um, you know society think to do that hopefully so that in generations to come um, there's somebody can you know dial up Roger Lancer and there he is talking to camera like one of those sort of um, you know uh, video wills but uh that was fun, but I don't have I don't have any uh, great projects coming up at the moment. My wife uh, recently signed on to do a new film or a series with Australian director Philip Noyce, who's done uh, quite a few uh, films in America. That's going to be a great big, powerful, uh, you know, international thriller. Cool. And yeah, and it was fun being in the city when um, uh, they were recently finished the. Uh, uh, the Hitman, was it? Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's two, usually two or three bigger productions in this city that uh, swallow up a lot of the uh, technicians and the studio space and stuff like that. But I haven't got anything coming up. Okay. Um, and uh, do you have um, any website or what is your um, your social media? My uh, really just on Instagram I had a fully functioning uh, website under my my full name but that folded recently because of a, a big, partly because of the COVID period the COVID years because I um, you know how many scammers are out there you know yes. people are sending stuff <laughs> and this, this company was getting in touch with me saying oh you're you know, your username's going to be, you know, you're going to lose it if you don't use it and you've got to send us money. And I didn't recognize who they were. But, of course, what had happened was the funny little Australian company I had signed on with uh, had, you know, got swallowed up by a bigger one somewhere and changed their name and they were trading under this new name. So so I'm currently rebuilding my website and um, pretty much just enjoying being able to go and see all the lovely new contemporary films that are out there in the cinema, which is my my favourite uh, experience. We recently had our Australian Cinematography Awards, uh, and I was a judge, so oh. you get to sit. Through, yeah, you get to sit through all the um, work by the members. They're not all Australian. That we have uh, an Egyptian. There's two or three Americans. There's a couple of uh, Brits. And um, but also all the wonderful documentaries. So you get documentaries and um, you know sixty-minute stories and guys who have spent you know two months in Antarctica. So you get to see a great range as well as all the wonderful, um, beautiful feature films that uh, an Australian cinematographer films. All the, those great big uh, Fast and Furious films. Uh, there's um, 
uh, female cinematographer recently did the Elvis film. She she uh, won an award, Mandy Walker, mm-hmm. and so I, you know I had this great joy of across uh, three days being able to view all this wonderful wonderful work by um, the Australian cinematographers, and you you just see how diverse you know diverse that uh, the work that cinematographers get involved in. So that that was a real that's been a bonus for me. Uh, this year, seeing you know, being asked to view other people's work and pass judgment on it, so that's great. I'm yeah, so, I, that's really exciting. Is this like we have a thing called Foundation, where um, directors, cinematographers, actors, everybody, they all are interviewed, and it's like it's on YouTube, and you can see them. Is it like is there going to be a YouTube channel of these interviews that you guys I- are doing? I don't know. I think I, I'll, I'll put it out there if there is, but um, I don't know if they're trying to keep it in-house at the moment. I mean, um, you know, is that? I think they're collating them at the moment and then they're going to try and work out how to maximise it. I do know that the uh, of what you're speaking and also I do love those uh, roundtable discussions they have, you know, I think the Hollywood Reporter mm-hmm. and... You know, they do those great ones, don't they, with the, you know, they get like five big A-list actors or directors to sit, writers, they sit around and and talk about origins and things like that, and it's fabulous. I do find them very fascinating, and, um, uh, you know, because our society is uh, 100% um, voluntary, it's hard to organise any of these things because... Uh, to film things because it's sort of like a bit of a busman's holiday, you know. People don't want to be coming in and working on their on their day off. But uh, you know, I'll let you know if it I'll let you know if it goes goes public. Yeah, because I'd be fascinated to see that. Because I I I love the, what you were talking about. I love the foundation stuff. I love the SAG stuff. I like actors on actors. I love the actor studio. I watch all that. <laughs> What's his name? Who used to do that on stage one? The actor uh, studio. The, oh, what's his name? Yeah, with the beard. Yeah, Jim. That, Jim something. Yeah, it was fantastic because that was possibly one of the first uh, things I saw where, where, you know, uh, an actor's career was sort of laid bare. Yeah, know? and you saw their and whole then, life. Yes, <laughs> and then there was all these, um, you know, students in the theatre dying to talk to whoever it was in the chair and ask them a straight up question, you know, it's such a great format. And it had people like Paul Newman. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's all massive stars. You I know. know. It was like it was uh, um and Robert Redford and the two of them like sent little messages to each other. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh his name yeah, was sorry. James Lipton. I looked it up. <laughs> That's right, James Lipton. That's right. I remember now. Yeah, it was a great one of the first things and um, you know now they're almost you know giving away the information before you see the film you know I mean I remember seeing films and it wouldn't be till you know years later on television at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night there'd be uh, you know the making of uh, uh, making of a James Bond movie and um, I used to love that <laughs> you know see the, you know, the, and it was sort of oddly photographed and there was just some of the actors sitting in chairs but now they have that before the film's released 
mm-hmm. you get this situation where they're, um, you know, oh, here, here's the making of this film or that film. You go, hang on a minute. Like like the cruise, big stunt from the cruise film or, you know, oh, they're shooting in Paris or whatever. And you're sort of seeing, you know, the process before the film. And I'd much rather the, you know, I, I sort of try and turn all those things off because I'd much rather have the first viewing experiences seeing the piece, you know. I guess I guess it'd be like watching, you know, um, you know, non-costume theatrical rehearsals of a musical before you see the musical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it just boils it. Imagine seeing Hamilton with everybody in jeans and their hands in their pockets, you know, <laughs> walk, walking around holding scripts trying to remember the words, and it just spoil the illusion. And I, I just find that they they're so worried they're going to lose money that they uh, they rush to put these things about the making of before the the um, screening of the show, you know. So. They have now a lot of DVDs that have the Q&A with the actors that they have, like, for previews of movies, and they put uh, the, that Q&A onto yes. the DVD. That's fine because you can watch the movie and then watch that and you don't get spoiled. That's right. Yes, I've got quite a few of those um, Criterion DVDs and also the beautiful uh, collections. You know, they used to put them out, didn't they? Nice box sets or whatever, and that one of the discs would be a making of, you know, mm-hmm. all, all kept secret. You know, it was all supposed to be, you know, oh, we're going to show you all the smoke and mirrors and how we did this and that, you know, and sometimes... It takes the magic out. Yeah, you don't want to know that they weren't in bed if it was just a shot against a green screen or, you know, the car chase was just two guys rocking a car, you know, you just go, oh, don't tell me that. I want to think they were in real danger. It's just like uh, Star Trek where you find out that the actors that are moving themselves, it's not a space right. yet. <laughs> That's right. I guess, yes. Yes, everybody goes, everybody go to the left. Everybody go to the right. You know. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and particularly on that show when I used to watch it, there were so many sparks going off on the set, you know. I thought, how the hell can this thing keep running, you know, because there's so many things blew up on it, you know, whenever they got uh, they got hit by a rocket or something, so. I don't know, but they did it. They made it through three years. <laughs> they started a franchise, so, yeah. <laughs> Gene Rodenberry, wasn't it? Yep. Gene Roddenberry, the great bird of the galaxy. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, legacy, you know, and as you say, every every couple of years there's a whole new whole new show. Yep. In fact, I'm waiting for the new one, um, A Strange New World. It's, it's going yes. to be on, um, I think, next week. The first one. Oh, wow. Of the se- of the season, the season, the second season. So I, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, it was you know in this country as I'm sure it was there, it was so revolutionary, you know that that you know that opening title dialogue and the spaceship in the sky and the then it took off at like hyperspeed, you know, and the the absolute the the ultimate in diversity in casting, having aliens working in the spaceship. You know, yeah. people from other, not just Asian or African-American, but there's somebody from another planet, you know, working in the 
control room. It was very groundbreaking. I know. And then as it went to Star Trek Next Generation, it could take it even further. Right, yes. Although they did do the Horda. You know the the little rock that that they were killing uh, that turned out to be alive. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh! No, but it, it also has its charm, doesn't it? When you see the early episodes and you think, how the hell was I fooled by that? You know, wobbly set made of polystyrene and sand and you know, like cheap effects. But uh, good writing, all, good acting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much.